0: Hello and thank you for joining us. Today we're seeing orange as we sit down with the CEO of Flexo Concepts. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Ink and Updates, your touch point for the flexographic industry. Stay informed about industry news and advertise your business or service to the community.
0: All right, so in a few moments, uh, we're going to have on Kevin McLaughlin, the CEO of Flexo Concepts. But before we get to him, I wanted to let our listening audience know about our new message line, one 833 ask Inks. So that's one 275 4657 Again, 1-833-275-4657. Or you can just remember to ask inks. So if you have questions, comments, or topics about absolutely anything pertaining to the Flexo or printing industry, you can text that line or you can call in and leave a voice message. So, for example, if you have a technical question for an ink technician like myself regarding fluxo inks and coatings, ink formulation or quality control software, dispensing units, maybe something's not working for you and you're not sure why, this message line is a quick, easy way for you to get your questions answered. If the question that you're asking is a little bit outside of our realm of expertise, then we will go ahead and get an industry professional, just like the one we're going to speak with today, and see if we can not get some insight on your question. We will contact you directly with our response, and we may even answer your question on the show as well. If we do choose to answer your question on the show, we will keep your personal identity confidential, unless, of course, you're looking to advertise your product or service to the industry, in which case, you're always welcome to come on and do that. All right, so once again, that's one 833 ask Inks, one 275 4657 and without further ado, let's go ahead and get Kevin on the line from Flexo Concepts.
1: Hey, good morning. This is Kevin.
0: How you doing, Kevin?
1: Hey, Kevin. It's Tom Brennan. How
0: are you? Hey, good, Tom. Well, first of all, let me thank you for uh, taking the time to come and sit down with us and, and talk over your company and, and your products that you have on the market. Uh, if you could start out for our listeners, if you could talk a little bit about who you are, a little bit about your background, and uh, just a brief overview of your company.
2: Sure. Thanks for having us. Um, so I've, I've been in the industry since uh, 1989. You know, I first started when I came right out of college with a company called Pomarco, which is one of the larger analytical manufacturing companies. I started in operations, and I did time in three of their facilities. They have a facility in New Jersey. Uh, back then, they had one in Dallas, Texas, as well, which I spent time in, and then one of their uh, California locations as well. Uh, after that, I uh, moved on to a company called Harrison Bruno, which is a manufacturer of chamber doctor blade systems. And at that time, they also built a lot of custom equipment. And I was their first director of sales and marketing and had a good opportunity to have a great experience as a young guy traveling around the country and the world uh, developing distribution for them. And then in about 1994, I left and started my own manufacturer's rep firm back here in Boston, which is the area that I'm from, and spent uh, quite a few years selling equipment up and down the East Coast. In 2001, I purchased Flexo Concepts and um, yeah, I've had that company now. Uh, now. We're we're in our 18th year. And Flexo Concepts uh, was founded in 1988 by uh, Bob Thompson and his, his father, Bob Senior. And uh, they started primarily selling doctor blades to the Flexo newspaper industry, which at that time was was small, but it it has it had a lot of promise and growth, and it's since uh, kind of gone through a cycle and all these papers are, are now a little bit smaller or, or gone yeah, sure. uh, versus how they were back in, in those days. But Flexo Concepts was very fortunate that Bob Sr., uh, in his final years with Pomarco, had been the OEM sales manager uh, for Pomarco. And as the corrugated box market started to shift from two-roll Flexo to Blades, he was really in a great position to offer them their first solutions. Which is really where Flexo Concepts got its initial start.
1: And you guys, I mean, so you're really celebrating 30 years in business this year, isn't that correct? Yeah, in fact, uh, we've had uh,
2: 30 years of working hard and five minutes of fame. We've, we've actually had a couple <laughs> of great. Uh, we've a couple of great awards this year that we were able to combine and uh, with our 30th anniversary and do some great celebrating. So. Uh, Earlier this spring, we won the SBA Exporter of the Year for Massachusetts. Yes, you did. And that was great, and we're very proud of that. And within three weeks of that, we found
1: out we also were awarded the Presidential E Award for Excellence in Exports. Um, uh, Didn't you get that twice? Is that twice this year? Did I see that? That was actually awarded to you twice this year or no?
2: No, they were just two different awards. One okay. was a, an SPA state award, and one was a federal award. So the federal award has a kind of a unique history and a, and a tie back to Massachusetts. Uh, President Kennedy was the one in 1962 that set this presidential award up. Oh, and he obviously was from Massachusetts, uh, with that funny accent it is. Uh, <laughs> so
0: we noticed... And uh, it's a, well, I'm sorry. Uh, was that? I was going to say, we noticed that uh, you kicked off your 30th anniversary with a bit of a bang. It looks like uh, they, they wrote an article on it. You guys rented a boat.
2: Yeah, so, you know, we've, uh, we sure don't get a lot of press this year. It's, uh, it's amazing how much attention, 30 years, and uh, these export awards has, has created. But we, do. We, we tend to be a very people-centric business and do a lot with our employees and their families anyway. But this year, we thought it would be special to celebrate those awards in our 30th year by going out on the Plymouth Harbor. So we rented a boat called the Pilgrim Bell, and uh, we did an open house here at Flexo, and we invited everybody from the company and their families and what we would call friends of Flexo Concepts, people we think helped influence our journey along the way, so local vendors and suppliers and, and folks that have been important to us.
1: Well, that's, that's, a, that's, a fun, that's a fun year. I can't wait to read the thirty. I think we're on 18 now, so we got a while ago. go.
0: 18, 17, 18,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, you can celebrate the 20th coming up. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's
0: right, yeah. Yeah, I think we've been in business, uh, based on what you just said, we've been in business about as long as you've owned Flexo Concept. You said you've owned it for about 18 years, yeah?
2: Yeah, yeah, we're in the 18th year of uh, us
0: owning it now. Yeah. 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 All right, so, so um, your main products, plastic doctor blades. You want to start uh, with the corrugated blade market, things like that, vision?
2: Well, we can do that. Um, certainly, that's where we began, um, and we can kind of talk through where, where we are today. So, when we bought the company back in uh, 2001, I was, I was pretty fortunate. I was able to get an industry better, and a guy named Greg Howell to come join the company. Um, and, um, you know, he's now actually a partner in the business. But we started with a company that was really corrugated-centric. It was probably 70 to 80% of our business. Okay. And probably close to 65% of that business was tied to a single material, a material called ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene. Uh, most people would know it uh, by its acronym, UHMW. And uh, it's still a growing product, ironically, 30 years later, uh, and is the main doctor blade that's used in the corrugated box market. And uh, we currently supply that material to over 30 OEMs globally. Uh, Much of the OEM business now is in Asia, whether it's uh, Taiwanese, Japanese, Korean, or or Chinese manufacturers, but we export that product over there. Uh, Together, Greg and I tried to find a way to continue to evolve that product and and innovate. So the first innovation that came was a product called uh, DuraPoint, which is also a high molecular weight polyethylene material, it's a higher molecular weight. So if you look at the traditional white UHMW, that's about a 4.2 million molecular material. So the chain, the molecular chain is about 4.2 million molecules. Uh, the, the Durapoint product is about a 5.1. So we, we launched that in and around 12 years ago or so, and it, it's become a major part of our business and, and probably is close to 30% of the UHMW market now, uh, today. Well, one of the things that we know is UHMW has great characteristics as far as wear resistance and abrasion resistance and impact resistance, but its mechanical properties weren't great. So if um, what we would call mechanical creep, so if you put the uh, UHMW blade under a fixed load, when you load it against the analog's roll, it actually starts to relax. And over oh. time, it can relax much about much as about 75% uh, of its force. So. For certain high-quality print applications, that can be an issue. Yeah, that certainly wouldn't let you print process, would it? It would. It wouldn't. So uh, typically our recommendation on, say, an analogs roll line screen for you, is if you're getting past a 300 or a 360 line analogs roll, it's probably not the ideal material. So we kind of stepped back about four years ago and said, you know, how do we, how do we help this situation? Because analogs rolls in the corrugated box market are getting pushed. We're seeing a lot more 400, 500, 600 and 700 line analogs rolls, and in some rare cases some, somewhat a little higher than that as well. You know, certainly we have other blades that are thinner and do a better job in other market segments, but one of the challenges that we have is a lot of the equipment in the corrugated box market is designed with fixed thickness cap set setups. So the clamps are designed to hold either a sixty thousands or an eighty thousands or a 90,000th blade material. So we couldn't necessarily apply some of our existing technologies to that space without either changing the clamping system, which nobody wants to do, right? Or putting shim stock in, which nearly nobody wants to do, right? So our challenge was to come up with a material that would perform well, uh, have better mechanical creep, better stiffness. It had to fit into these existing holders, and that was a harder challenge than we thought it was going to be. And it took us almost two years of product development to kind of slay
1: that dragon. So is that that's where so, the is that the true is that where the true Point Green uh, product came into? That's exactly right. The
2: polymer is a fairly new polymer. It existence for about four years, so it's been custom compounded for us, and it has about twice. Uh, or two times better mechanical creep characteristics than the standard UHMW products. So what we're saying is this product really fills a gap, or what we call the gap, which is kind of the, the gap between where UHMW is effective and steel doctor blades become required. So what we've done is we've positioned that blade in that gap, and we found it's filling that gap very well, and in fact... It's stealing a little bit from the, UH, the UHMW uh, in the area where people are printing the highest quality with UHMW, and it's also uh, causing a lot of people to use steel but really don't want to in the corrugated box market to convert back to a polymer blade.
1: Yeah, so you actually did a really good, great job of illustrating that on your website under the True Point Green Doctor Blade features segment of your website, where you have that UHMW. Uh, then you show the gap and then the transition in the steel. So I mean, that's, this is this is one of the great things I love about your, your website is the the information that you make available to the customer. We try hard. I
2: think you know you've
1: asked a question in
2: the past, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit before we go on. Is kind of that age old question whether it's plastic or steel. You know, my answer is always it should be the right blade for the application. And I think we as an organization try very hard and I I appreciate this forum to help us continue it, to educate the market. And, you know, the the reality is steel and plastic will always coexist in the market because there's applications where they each optimize the application. So So, uh, can we touch on that a little bit
0: as far as Flexo and steel? Could you give us an example of where plastic is definitely ideal and then maybe um, an example where steel might be a little bit of a better option for us?
2: Yeah, it's a pretty broad question because there's so many different market segments. Sure. Well,
0: yeah. <laughs> All right, just to let's narrow it down a little bit. Let's say um, tag and label, narrow web. So
2: I, there's always a series of filters that we go through to kind of look at whether we're uh, appropriate or not. So the first filter that we would always look at is the equipment and the blade holder. So there's some blade holders that are not designed to fit plastic. So in that case, you really don't have an option. Steel will, will be your best option. Also, there's speed considerations. Now, this is true mainly in wide web, not, not in narrow web. But if a press is running more than 1,500 feet a minute currently, steel is still going to be your best option. You know, the polymers just don't perform well at those elevated speeds. From there, we really focus on the problems that the customer is having and whether our belief can help or not. So if we run into a situation where a customer is running a steel blade and they don't have any of the problems we can solve and they're happy with it, that's exactly what they should use. Right? It's it's an sure. economical product, it's a product and Pressman is used to use it. So there's no reason to change. But where the polymer blade, particularly the orange blade, which we can go into in more detail, will help in the narrow web, is solving things like UV ink spitting. The Orange blade has had a long history now, over five years, of proving that it will solve most UV ink spitting problems. This is related to its dying level and its surface energy. So the surface energy of a plastic blade is about six or seven dyings lower than a steel blade. So it doesn't want to whip the ink out of the analog cells and then spit it. So the ink stays in the cell better and, and we don't have the spitting issues.
0: Yeah, not to, uh, not to cut you off there, but so since you brought up ink spitting, uh, Laydown Logistics, they did a flash poll uh, that tackled ink, analogs, doctor blades interactions, and troubleshooting tactics. I think this came out, what, about two months ago
1: or so? June edition of
0: uh, Flexo Magazine. All right. So the number one issue that was reported from printers was ink spitting. So just because you were talking about it, you're saying that uh, ink spitting can be cured through the proper application of, of the proper doctor blade Is that correct?
2: Yeah, so like, like everything in FlexSale, so there's a lot of variables, right? There's a lot of, of causes. Uh, but certainly one of the things that we've seen repeatedly now is the lower surface energy on the blade uh, is one of the contributing factors to helping eliminate UV ink spitting. So this is probably easier to illustrate on a whiteboard, but the, there is an interaction between the two surfaces, the, the analog surface, the blade surface, and certainly the ink that passes between them. And the higher the surface energy of the blade, the more the ink wants to move from the roll to the blade. And steel blades tend to be in that 42, 43 dine level, uh, where the plastic blades are down in that 36 dyne level range. So in most cases, we're able to help solve that ink spitting issue. Uh, now, there's other technical things that are important, too. Blade angle, contact angle at the point of tangency is critical. And that's certainly one of the things I know the steel blade manufacturers will, will try to address by going to a thicker steel blade, and it often will help. You know, if your holder requires a steel blade, going to a thicker blade so that it resists the deflection and keeps those angles as close to 30 degrees as possible will help. So, but our, our solution is to maintain proper angles and use a blade with a lower dye level.
1: Well, I think this information is going to be very helpful to everybody listening here because 31% elected to actually doctor the ink. 19% elected to stop and actually put the job on another press, which, of course, is going to cause all kinds of downtime and you're just bleeding money at that point. But 18%, but 18% of the people polled, this is kind of my favorite, I guess, is uh, they hoped that the issue would resolve itself. They just stood there and watched it uh, spin all over the place. So uh, it's like, okay, so the 18% of people who are listening to this, uh, you need to change your doctor blades out, right?
2: No, absolutely. And, you know, there are cases where we haven't been able to solve it, but, uh, you know, I confidently can say, you know, eight out of ten times we're able to resolve it with simply changing that blade. One of the things, and I don't know... um, I you know, probably shouldn't mention press OEM's names, but it's um, one of the things that has gotten us on several OEMs as standard equipment now is, is the UV spitting problem um, that exists in the market, and they were able to see that our blade solved it. And now we ship between flex OEMs and digital coating manufacturers and manufacturers of digital coating equipment. We have more than 13 OEMs that are shipping their equipment with this blade now. Nice. So
0: um, I'm reading through the notes here, and I see that you have the ProFlex, and it says uh, designed for printers struggling with aggressive inks and coatings, chemical-resistant properties, and high-quality metering capabilities. This uh, says it's a polyester blade. You talked in great detail about the UHMW blades. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about polyester blades and, and maybe what the benefits of those are? Sure. Well,
2: polyester polyester has been around for a while. We're, we're certainly not the only company that manufactures it. It's common material. And I would say there's a number of applications, certainly in applications where you have holders, chambers specifically, that won't fit a thicker blade, so you can't get an orange or a green or something like that into it. It does allow you in the containment position to convert from a steel to a plastic, which can be helpful in a number of areas. One, it tends to be more economical. Two is it reduces the risk of injury. Uh, That's one of the risks of a steel doctor blade is how sharp and dangerous they get. Sure. So by using the polyester, you do reduce that risk of injury. Uh, and it also tends to help with what's called uh, backdoctoring or trail doctoring, uh, which is a phenomenon that will uh, ankle gets doctored, and then either puddled at the, on the top of the chamber if it's a top blade or it'll, it'll leak down in the uh, pan if it's a bottom blade. So you, you very often see it in wide web flexible packing. Certainly some of the new chamber presses, in the narrow web, it's also quite common enough
1: yeah, so I, th- I think keying off of that, so how do you go about how do you go about making these recommendations? how does your team what's the process that your team goes through when they come into a customer to do an evaluation and, and eventually make a recommendation to a customer?
2: Yeah, that's a, you know this is really the, the most important part. so we, we have a series of filters that we'll, we'll go through and questions we'll ask. It certainly starts with the application. What is the application? You know, is it narrow web? Is it wide web? Is it priming? Is it coding? We also do a lot of smooth roll metering uh, or smooth roll cleaning uh, applications that are kind of outside of Flexo. Okay. Then, then the next question, and which I kind of alluded to it earlier, is understanding the press and the holder. Uh, will our technology even fit? Will it work? And next would probably be the speed of the application. Uh, We also need to understand the analogs configuration. And then the type of coating or ink is very important, Uh, whether it's UV, water-based, whether it's a capitalized system, uh, whether it's heat-sensitive, and also is it corrosive? You know, certainly a lot of the digital primers now are extremely corrosive, so we need to understand that and make sure we pick the right materials. And in some rare cases, you know, temperature is important, whether it's a roll temperature or the ambient temperature make sure that we're picking the right polymer because we've actually got, you know, nine or ten different polymers uh, and many, many different thicknesses to choose from. So, you know, the, the website kind of highlights you, but we sure. have a lot of specialty defaults poly- that we use in other applications as
1: well. Well, so just like, I mean, just like anything else, I mean, I think getting to know your customer, what they're doing, you know, what their issues are, if, if they have any, and getting to understand their process helps yep. you with your business. Yeah, let's go back and talk a little bit about the orange blade. And I think, you know, as we talk through this, it will
2: kind of highlight the importance of kind of picking, understanding the application and picking the right blade or right right profile on the blade. So one of the things, and when we developed the, the orange blade originally, it was at the request of a, a company that was having severe analog scoring, okay. which is, again, one of the areas that our blade can help in. And if somebody's having scoring, know, the blade is certainly worth trying to, to use to solve it. But it was a really high-line screen application. I think it was an eight or a 900-line screen analogs roll. And five years ago, uh, you really couldn't meter those kind of analogs rolls effectively with a polymer blade. And it was primarily because of the bevel technology. And, again, this is probably something that's easier on a whiteboard to illustrate. But if you can picture a, a traditional bevel, as the bell starts to wear the analog roll, your contact area changes. So, and as that contact area between the blade and the roll changes, your lay down characteristics change. So, on a high line speed analog roll, you very often get tonal value changes. So, when we were asked to help solve this scoring problem, we kind of pushed back a little bit because we, we didn't think we would be effective, and the customer it was a real issue, so we went through a series of testing to understand what the contact areas were on worn blade, at what point we saw a uh, tonal value change. And that helped us define that optimal contact area for different line screen analog rolls. And then we developed a microtip, which is essentially a lamella tip or a stepped blade that would keep a constant contact area as the blade wore based on the required contact area for the required analog roll. So that's really the secret sauce to this, this uh, blade is not necessarily the material, but the microchip. So we have a microchip uh, called an M8 that is uh, used primarily for very high line screens, you know, uh, even as high as 2,000. We have one customer running the 2,000 line. Control, but generally it's in the1,000, 1000, 1200, 1300 line screen range. And then we have larger microchips for different applications. So we have an M10, an M15, an M25 that might be used, you know, if you're running a coarse line screen roll for laying down white ink, if you're running uh, specialty coatings like glitter or sand or soft touch where you might be running, I don't know, a 30, 40, 50 line screen analog roll. Yeah. So we have the ability with these microchips to optimize them to your actual
1: specific application. I mean, the TruePoint Orange uh, blade is, I mean, would you consider that your f- flagship blade for your company? I mean, your guys are dressed in orange. They're running around in uh, PMS uh, 151 orange shirts, and it's, it's everywhere. So would you consider that that's the flagship product? We certainly do like our orange, yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah it has become, you should come to our factory sometime. All of, the, all of our equipment and our uh, racks and everything are orange. You, you that's
0: great. Yeah, I noticed. But I was yeah, reading I your white it.
2: papers. It's all orange. It's, yeah. No, it's uh, um my my kids think I have an issue. Yeah, <laughs> they don't think we've got.
1: It. Well, look, it's I mean, look, it's a it's a fantastic from a from a marketing standpoint. It's like, oh, you know, you know, where's Flexo Concepts at? And if I'm at a trade show, all I have to do is look for the orange.
2: Right. Or Extremely recognizable. Yeah. Absolutely. That's uh, awesome. That's you yeah. know it's certainly what we hope to achieve. Right. You know, one of the things when we colored the blade orange, it was to be sure that nobody could look at that and say, oh, I've tried that before, right? Because plastic blades had been around for 25 years. Sure. And many of them had been tried in applications that weren't appropriate. So a lot of people would say, ah, geez, I tried plastic. It didn't work. So we wanted something that looked different uh, because it was different. That microchip is a defining difference, and it does create the ability for it to work in many more applications. And it's worked. You know, it's uh, the proof is in the pudding. We Globally now, we're close to 1,000 accounts that are running Orange in some applications. So the, probably the most common application, that, you know, for this flagship product would be the Narrow Web Flexo. Um, yeah. that, that was our first market we really entered. The other area that we're seeing great success is in the digital priming and coding applications. In fact, that's our second fastest growing market right now. So really... Digital, and everybody thinks about the variable images and the ability to print without plates, but the digital is really driving a lot of creativity in the market today, and much of that creativity is in and around effect coding, whether that effect coding is tactile or or optical, Uh, from soft touch to sand to to, uh, various metallics and glitters. All that requires an analog roll, and in many cases, the orange blade is the best blade to use
1: for that. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, those, when we start talking about glitter and sand coatings, I mean, talk about being aggressive, right? It used to be, well, it still is, that white, you know, when you print white, that uh, you need to change your, anal- not only your analogs, but your, your doctor blades to deal with the aggressiveness of TiO2, and now we're looking at... Yep you know, glitter coatings and other aggressive coatings as everybody is. I mean, quite frankly, they're getting very creative. We talk about it a lot here on the show about uh, the trends in Flexo and, and the trends out in the marketplace, just in packaging. And I think everyone's just like, well, let's just give it a shot and see what happens. Right. And, and they create a package out of it. It's great. Yeah, our call for custom coatings is, is growing pretty much every day.
0: And we're getting pretty big and Matt and soft feel seems to be very popular. Glitter coatings are growing. It used to be we just used to have, for the most part, a line of it was uh, pearlescence type of coatings. But now there's a full ri- a full line, full range of glitter coatings that are all different colors and all sorts of goofy stuff. You can really do anything with coatings these days. Not to get off topic. Not to get off topic a little bit. I wanted to talk. You you mentioned your plan, Everything was orange. We also noticed that uh, we had talked about it in a podcast a, a few months ago. You showed up in one of our green podcasts because. 100 percent, if I, if I recall correctly, 100 percent of your uh, power comes from solar panels that you have uh, on the roof? Yeah, actually, 104 percent. We get a little
2: extra. You get a little <laughs> extra? Oh, so
0: you could do some crypto mining on the side.
2: <laughs> we might. We might. Right now we're just banking the credit. So, uh, yeah, you know, we've, we've got a unique situation in Massachusetts where the electricity cost is actually quite high. And we've had some challenges in the state where they're retiring some older power plants. We've lost our second-largest coal-fired power plant, and next year we're going to be losing the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Plant, which is actually here in, in Plymouth. And that accounts for 18% of the electricity that is produced in, in the state of Massachusetts. So, you know, we kind of felt an obligation to see, you know, what, what could we do to, to assist in that? So we looked... Um, it's probably almost a year and a half ago now that we started the project, and we completed it last October to be able to put solar panels on the roof to, uh, to take care of all our power needs, as well as the rest of the building and all, all the common areas and the external lighting as well.
1: Hmm. That's very impressive. So, yep. I mean, I mean, how do you start um, that process? I mean, I'm sure the city was 100% behind you, right? They help you. I mean, what kind of help did you get from that? Well,
2: there's certainly, you know, the economics of it um, currently still require assistance. So, you know, the state of Massachusetts has one of the best incentive programs in the country, uh, the SREC program, and they, they give credits. They, they, you're actually, it's like a cap-and-trade type setup, and the power plants are required to buy these credits at a, a fixed floor. So we, we were able to calculate out a long-term return, which in many states, is nearly impossible to do because the there is no floor on the uh, on the SREC programs of other states or many of the states. Um, and then uh, there's a good history here with some of the local companies that integrate and help. So there's a lot of there's a lot of information, but it's a it's a hard it's a hard investment to calculate uh, in many yeah. ways. So you've really got to be dedicated. You really got to want to do it because you. The payback is over such a long, long period of time. You know, the reality is these panels will be on the roof for probably 30 years, and we don't know what the weather is going to be next week, never mind in 30 years. You don't know what your electricity uses will be or the, or the, um, the going rate of the electricity. So it, it was a complex investment, but, you know, we, we, were, uh, we were committed, and we, we really wanted
1: to do it, and we're very proud that we did. Well, I, I, look, you've you got a lot to be proud of there uh and i'm sure at some point you'll probably maybe sell a little bit of that back to the uh back to the power grid that that, that certainly helps can you do that can you actually sell extra power you have 104% you can
2: sell that back to the you state.
1: sell the 4% back Yeah, percent
2: it actually there's different ways to do it the way uh we've done it now with the local power company is actually everything goes to the grid any extra goes to the grid and then what goes to the grid is um, essentially credited to us. So in months where we may have a lot of snow, which we, we occasionally do in Boston, and, and the, the sun goes a little lower in the sky, uh, we don't generate enough, we're able to draw on those credits um, to
1: cover, cover our electric costs. Well, so we talked so, about, you know, with that, uh, one of the other responsibilities that we have as a, as a manufacturer and a leader in the industry is education. And and that's part of even what this what this podcast is about, educating not only our staff, our management, uh, the public, but most importantly, our customers. Uh, and Really, that's what we're doing today, right? So I saw on your website, it's called FCTV. Uh, you have a couple mm-hmm. of episodes there. Love that. And, you know, what what inspired you guys to do that? Uh, can we look forward to seeing more and more of that in the future? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I think, again, it's... It's part and parcel of education as a whole, right? So I think we take that seriously
2: internally as an organization. We do things in our organization like tuition reimbursement for people that are going back for night school. We do a lot of send people, whether it's to the Fox Valleys or the Clemsons. Uh, we're, a big, we're really committed to the FDA First program internally here. Uh, we work with the local chamber and things like uh, Excel training. So we we're we very, very educational-centric as an organization, and then from an industry perspective, we've always found that working with co-suppliers is the best way to facilitate a complete and accurate education. So we've, we've worked with other suppliers for years, whether it's in, in workshops and roadshows, um, whether that is uh, some of the webinars that we've done with, with folks like Cappy and the FTA and AICC, ICC. Um, and we just felt like the FCTV was a national next extension of that where we, because we have an audience, I, I think we do a pretty good job at capturing attention in the market with our various blogs and white papers and, and, and uh, marketing. Um, we thought that audience was a good vehicle to... Kind of highlight other companies' innovations, and um, because it's not just educating on our product that's important to the industry, we need to educate everybody to keep the whole industry moving in, in the right direction. So know well, yeah, it just felt like that was the
1: right yeah. national next step. I mean, there's there's so much that goes into uh, creating just a label, right? And so you know, doc, a doctor blade is only one piece of that puzzle. I mean. It has to work with the analogs. It has to work with the ink. It has to, it all has to work together depending on the speed, depending on the uh, application. And so when you start getting and bringing in co-suppliers to to discuss, just like we're doing today, to discuss the things that are going on in the industry, to discuss what, you know, what would be a better alternative for, you know, Joe's Sunday on third shift. You know, he can watch these videos, he can listen to these podcasts, he can look at a webinar, and he can do that over and over again and until and that information really sinks in and we can cut down on this 18% of guys who just hope that the issue would resolve itself. Well,
2: you know, I think you nailed it. You know, in it, it, so many ways, the old salesman coming in the door was a source of education, trade shows were a source of education but they don't leave as large of a footprint over time as something that is recorded, whether it's audio or, or video. And those vehicles also didn't necessarily go as deep into the organization as um, something like this can. So your, so your point is, I, I think, very accurate. You know, these videos can be watched by anybody in the organization, up or down, at any time of day or night uh, for years to come. Hey, Kevin, you
0: talked a little bit about your microtip technology, and I was reading your white paper here the hitting costs of using steel doctor blades. And I wanted to touch a little bit about safety. This, uh, this article here, this white paper, that you, you go into state that these plastic doctor blades are much safer. Um, the cutting risk is drastically decreased. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: You know, that's historically been a primary guess of the plastic forever, right? Because uh, as the blade wears out, um, the body of the blade is a lot thicker and the material is softer than a steel blade. So you don't get that very, very fine, sharp edge like you would get on a steel blade or, for that matter, a razor blade uh, to cause injury. So you you might be able to get scratched with a plastic blade, but you're certainly not going to get the, the deep gouging that you can see with a steel octoblade. So, you know, we have some great images that we use in uh, presentations, not of people bleeding, but of the... Uh, <laughs> Well, you have a well, that was, That would
1: actually, you know, you know, the military uses those kinds of uh, videos, you know, to scare people straight. I mean, maybe you should uh, introduce a little blood into your illustrations. <laughs>
2: I'm not great with blood, so I don't know. But, uh, but the images really show what a worn plastic blade looks like, particularly a micro-tip blade. And it's very easy to see that you're not going to be able to cut yourself uh, with a plastic the way you can a steel. So it's much, much safer. In fact, there's some markets, ironically, like the U.K. right now, is probably one of our fastest-growing geographic regions, and I bet the main driver is safety. You know, they are a very safety-conscious safety uh, country, and uh, we're seeing a lot of new customers because of that.
1: Well, one of the things that uh, is quoted here in this article is that according to OSHA, businesses spend 170 billion—that's with a B—each year on costs associated with occupational injuries and illness, and employers pay almost one billion, again with a B, every week uh, for direct workers' compensation benefits alone. That's uh, a no. There's
2: some scary numbers there, and and, (laughs) you know, let's you know, let's understand too. Still, in most printing plants and in most industrial plants in general the number one cause of injury is generally still a forklift. So, you know, that's something that we, ironically, we educate and put people through certifications here. Uh, But that is still common. If you go into most printing plants, particularly flexo printing plants, doctor blade injuries will typically be number two or number three uh, cause for lost time accidents. Still, 2018, still. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, many plants, you know, they, they take great care in making sure they use cut resistant gloves. Some will even use cut resistant armbands and train people. And all that's important and it all helps. But there are always accidents, whether it's somebody putting a chamber on a rack and don't think they're exposed to the blade, and all of a sudden the chamber slips and falls and, and catches them, or in the disposal of the blade. There are so many stories out there of how people have gotten serious lacerations with a steel blade. I challenge you to find somebody that'll give you a story about a laceration from a plastic blade. It's just yeah. not out there.
1: Well, there's always one. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He'd have to try really I hard. Right, right. He'd have to try really hard, but there's always that one guy. Yeah. So with Label Expo coming up in uh, in September, uh, I know there is a lot of uh, great reveals. Uh, that companies are trying to do, and you know, maybe just between the three of us uh, you know, if there's uh, something you'd like to reveal here on the podcast uh, that'd be awesome.
2: You won't tell anybody, will
1: you? No, we won't tell, yeah, we won't tell anybody.
2: Well, no, Label Expo for us is the most important show we do, and it's exciting for us also because so many pieces of equipment on the floor will be running our blade. You know, we haven't got the final word this year, but the last Label Expo in Brussels, we had Almost 30 machines running the orange blade in Brussels at the show. So it's it's always a, a very exciting show for us. We are actually going to be highlighting something that we did in December. So it's it's not quite new, but it'll it, it's within its first year. We actually enhanced the microchip. We improved its surface finish and its stiffness at the point of contact. So. For many people, as they tried the orange blade, if their blade holders weren't perfectly in the line or they had too much blade pressure, often you'd see what we would call a startup line or a series of startup lines between the blade and the roll, and people would struggle with that. So we went to kind of work in our innovation lab last year and found a way to help eliminate virtually all those startup lines by improving the tip stiffness and the surface finish on that tip to make it easier at startup. So that's what we're primarily going to be highlighting at the show is is the new improved tip. Nice.
0: Okay, Kevin, so let's talk a a little bit about blade life, the differences maybe between uh, your blade, your orange blades, uh, plastics in general, and when you compare them to steel blades, uh, is there a longer life expectancy as compared to steel blades
2: or you go into some detail with that? Uh, Sure, that's a great, great question. Um, Well, certainly there's a lot uh, different types of blades, and there's a lot of different types of applications. You know, often I'll get this question, and uh, people will say, how long does a blade last? And I'll, I'll say, well, how long's a baseball game last? It, you know, it really depends. There's <laughs> um, it, uh, a lot that goes into, into that. But certainly, you know, when you're comparing a orange blade properly installed, so the orientation's right, the blade pressure's right, the alignment's right, and you compare it to a standard carbon or stainless steel blade, something that's your everyday type of blade in the market. Now, the orange blade will typically last two to three times longer than the standard steel blade. It has much better lubricity and it's just, it, it just tends to last longer. Now, there are steel blades that uh, will last no longer than what we do. So there's a number of uh, good coated blades in the market. There's some tool steel blades, There's some ceramic blades they will tend to last longer than the polymer blades. So, you know, relatively, when you start talking about things like a return on investment or or cost relative to value, basic carbon steel blades are probably the most economical. Uh, They'll also wear out the fastest. Our blade kind of sits in the middle. You know, will be a bit higher in price and will give you a longer blade life. And then there's these real premium steel blades that are significantly more expensive, but you, you get very, very good blade lights. So again, this, there's no one size fits all in the blade market. I think we've done a great job of innovating. And I think the steel blade guys have also done a great job of innovation. So there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of selections out there
1: now for the printer. So talk about your innovation lab, if you will. I mean, we start talking about return on investments and blade wear. And how'd you guys go? Did you come up with that number on press at a customer, or was that done uh, in a lab environment? And you know, what are, what are some of the things that uh, you guys are looking for inside your uh, your lab? So you know, one of the challenges, and depending on the market segment, it's it's more
2: or less challenging is getting good feedback from a customer. Right? They've uh, in some cases our blades, like in the corrugated market, might be on a press for three to six weeks. So being able to understand subtle differences in performance over long cycle times is very difficult. And you get different operators, different shifts. So really over time, we've tried to work in three baskets. We've tried to work in the lab. So we have an innovation lab that we we built um, probably about five years ago now where we're able to test characteristics of our own blades, competitive blades, and new materials that we're testing. So we're looking at things in a scientific way, um, such as uh, mechanical creep, uh, stiffness, abrasion resistance, uh, purely as a material, abrasion resistance in a simulated printing environment, and, and surface finish and dye level uh, of the uh, contact areas. So, so we, we have, have a, a basket of critical criteria that we think are important to a blade's performance that we can look at internally. In fact, ironically, we're doing that with a, a new material that we're developing right now, which, you know, we, we won't mention it in the podcast, but maybe a future podcast we'll talk about it. Okay, top secret
1: information revealed here first. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Anytime you want to come on and talk about some secrets, you let me know. <laughs> All right. From there, we tend to
2: use some OEM partners that have demo facilities. Um, to be able to go out to their demo facilities and run them in live applications uh, that aren't necessarily long-run or challenging applications, but we know that they're set up well, and uh, we've got time and attention to, to qualified operators to, to really focus on performance. And then lastly, uh, you, you've got to involve the printer, right? It's got to work in the everyday environment uh, of a press room. So we, we certainly have a handful of most favored customers that are willing to take the time and give us the good feedback to, as we develop new products. And in the last five years now, we've developed uh, three products that have come out of that innovation lab, and we've enhanced uh, the orange uh, with developments from that, from that innovation lab as well.
0: Hmm. All right. So if you, uh, if you had a crystal ball and it's properly calibrated, <laughs> Well, where do you see Flexo in 10 years? Uh, do you see it developing in specific markets, digital, so on and so forth?
2: Yeah, well, first off, I'd say we see ourselves right here in Plymouth, Massachusetts, right? America's hometown. Right. Um, I think we're, we're a very proud U.S.-based manufacturer, and, but we're also very proud of the community we live in, and we're very nested in this community. So I think you'll see us continue to manufacture and grow here in Plymouth. As far as uh, the market segments that we're going to grow in, th- there's a lot. Ironically, we're seeing the best growth we've ever seen. You know, we've been in business for 30 years, and the Dr. Blade business has grown 30 years in a row. We've actually had a record year every year that we've been in business. Nice. So that's a it trend that you know, it, it does not It's not a bad trend. We hope it keeps going. <laughs> okay, right. but we actually feel, we feel it's actually accelerating. I think the acceptance of polymers is getting better. And the market, there's many applications now, particularly in some specialty coating areas where steel blades can't be used for various reasons because of some electronic applications and, and battery applications and such. So polymers really are critical to the success of some of those applications. But we really see ourselves still growing in the, in the, the spaces that we feel are important historically as a company. Coriated is still a growth market. Tagging labels is still going to be a growth market for us, but the digital, as we highlighted earlier, is growing for us very, very quickly. We're a partner with one of the major OEMs in the digital space that utilizes our blades in their ink imaging process. So we make uh, thousands of blades a month for for that type of application. But all of these digital applications require either priming or effect coating or both. And uh, we're deeply entrenched. In fact, I think we've got nine OEMs now that we're doing business with in that digital primary or coding space. So we expect that will be a big part of who we are 10 years from
1: now. That's fantastic. I mean, I love hearing a a great American company, a great American story, in a great American place. We're talking about uh, 400 years since the uh, Pilgrims uh, landed there on Plymouth Rock, if I'm not mistaken. We've got to be close, right? And, uh, we will be celebrating our 400th anniversary in 2020. In fact,
2: the, the town is, uh, we're trying to get the town all cleaned up for it right now. we are They're redoing roads and doing lots of cosmetic uh, construction to the town to okay. get it ready for all you tourists that are going to show up here. <laughs> in, in so
1: it's family. going to be a little crowded there. Two-year preparation. In fact,
2: incredible. that's all that. We've even got a new hotel going up right now to try to accommodate everybody.
0: Hmm. All right. So, Tom, there's nothing else, Kevin. I think we'll get to our one last thing. Tom always likes to kind of uh, do this segment where he brings something random up to uh, both me, because I never know what it is, actually, and our, our guest speaker, if we have one. So, uh, yeah,
1: nothing else. I All guess right. I'll let Tom get to the one last thing.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's the one
1: last thing. And as per usual, it has uh, absolutely nothing to do with the flexo market <laughs> and or packaging. However, in keeping in line with a great American business and a great American company, and keeping in line with that, Budweiser has um, come out with its Freedom Reserve Red Lager. It's a brand new, uh, brewed uh, by Budweiser veterans. A portion of the proceeds go to the Folds of uh, Honor. To call Budweiser a partner would be an understatement. They consider us to be family, and they uh, service over 3,000 families and to, through their donations and support. Uh, the red lager, you'll be interested to in know, is inspired by George Washington's hand-penned recipe from his personal military journal dating back to 1757. Washington red, made beer? Yeah. So this is George Washington's hand, you know, this is his recipe. oh well, it, it says inspired by his recipe. Well, inspired by <laughs> Okay. So, I mean, you know. Uh, That's very cool. The red lager is brewed uh, with toasted barley grains for a slightly sweet aroma uh, with a touch of hops, a rich caramel malt taste, and a smooth finish uh, with a hint of molasses. Being a vet myself, I'm 100% behind companies that help out our veterans, and uh, what a better way to Help our, our vets by not only having veterans brew the beer, but you know, having a veteran taste it every now and then too doesn't hurt. <laughs> they also threw in a thing for you millennials, which uh, I am not, but we have one here in the room. Budweiser is also partnering partnering with a alcohol delivery service called Drizzly. Uh, to deliver the taste of summer to drizzly customers across the country for a special promotion of five dollars off their first purchase. I mean, you guys can't even go to the store; you got to have it delivered. just Well, like that. first of all, how
0: amazing is that? That I can call up what equates to Uber and have them pick up some beer for me and bring it over. So that's not a bad deal, but uh, certainly a very cool concept. And I, uh, I'm waiting for my samples.
1: Did yeah, you, did I you buy samples? Well, I didn't bring them in because our boss is listening to this. Isn't it? Well, He's listening, but he can't like, see it.
2: Like, you might like to know that on Saturday, my wife sent her private Uber, me, out to get that exact beer. <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> so, all right guys. So, how is that formula from 1775, what would you say, What here? Uh, 1750? 1757. 1757.
1: So, how does it taste? It, it went perfectly with pizza. There you
0: go. Can't ask for better than that.
1: Well, there you go. <laughs> so, that's the one last thing. That's
0: the one last thing. All right. Well, listen, we greatly appreciate you joining us um, on our Ink and Updates podcast, Kevin. I, I really do appreciate it. If you want to follow us uh, at www.interactiveinks.com, please do. And uh, Kevin, how can our listeners get a hold of you, get a hold of Flexo Concepts, and uh, maybe go down the path of getting themselves some orange doctor blades? Sure.
2: Well, first, I thank you for having me. It was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. Uh, certainly, our website is probably the best place to start, which is www. Uh, flexoconcepts.com and from there they're able to see all of our products, uh, all of our white papers, blogs, videos and they can even uh, live chat uh, with our office from the website uh, which is, is becoming a very popular feature uh, we're, we're also accessible on Facebook, Facebook Messenger and, uh, and naturally you can certainly give us a call on our main line of 508 830 9506 All right, well, thank you very much, and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Make it a great day.